Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ae forward slash music. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Pels fans? We are back here on another episode of The Bird Calls. I'm your host, Preston Ellis. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. And today, we are focusing on the Pelicans trade with, Ali, help me with this, Nikola Miritich. Is that right, Kevin? I think that's how he phonetically spelled it out for you. <laughs> you got to say it like Ricola, man. Uh, here to do it with us is our friend Kevin. You just heard him. What's up, Kev? Nothing much, man. Excited, uh, ready to talk some trades and possible future moves, too. Yes, sir. And making his first appearance on the Bird Calls here, Kumar of Bourbon Street Shots. Welcome to the pod, Kumar. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. This is uh, a great podcast, and I'm very excited that you guys chose to have me on here. Thanks, man. You're always welcome. Uh, way Big upgrade over Ollie, right, Kev? Oh, definitely. <laughs> you guys, uh, Kumar is a must follow on Twitter. Make sure you do that, not just for uh, his statistical information, but also for his humor. He's a pretty funny guy. Uh, and you can follow all three of them at Kevin B for Balance, at Fear the Brown, that's Kumar's handle, and at Bourbon Street Shots. Let's get into this first. Kumar, I'm going to start by getting your take on DeMarcus Cousins. Obviously, that was um, a, a horrifying thing to happen, not only to the New Orleans Pelicans franchise as a whole, but also to DeMarcus Cousins himself, given that he just lost out on a uh, 
you know, that designated player exception last year being traded from the Kings. And then he was certain to be offered the five-year $176 million max. And now his future, his status, everything is in limbo. He's in great spirits. We just saw his surgery was successful in California. And he posted on Instagram, hashtag zero doubt. Uh, what was your reaction to the boogie injury? And what do you think of his future going into this offseason with the Pelicans? Man, I thought the injury was absolutely devastating. Um, it probably hurt me more than any single event that's happened since I became a Pelican slash Hornets fan. There's been a lot that we've gone through as a franchise, but that one stung the most. I think, you know, we were finally turning it around as a team. We had a season high win streak. DeMarcus was playing out of his mind, uh, not only during that stretch, but throughout the season. And to have that all taken away from him, to have that all taken away from the team, from AD, from everyone, uh, it was it was absolutely devastating. In the next 48 hours plus, I was in a really bad mood. Let's just put it that way. And <laughs> it's almost like the sunlight was just taken away from my life. <laughs> but, uh, you know, things have gotten better since, I think, the aggressiveness of the Pelicans in lieu of Boogie uh, has raised my spirits. I think doing some more research on injuries such as this has made me a little bit more confident going forward. The prognosis isn't great, but knowing how Boogie plays the game, he isn't a terribly explosive player. Uh, he isn't someone that's terribly fast or anything. He primarily relied on his skill his size and just being boogie the mentality that like i'm better than anyone on the floor and i think those three things are going to stick with him despite the injury so i have a lot of uh hope that he's going to come back strong next year but man when he got hurt i i thought the franchise was done for that that's how low i had fallen yeah, you can't undersell uh, how big a moment that was, not just for the New Orleans Pelicans, but for the city as a whole, a city that's never really embraced the New Orleans Pelicans the way they have the the New Orleans Saints and that sort of thing. Uh, obviously, the, the Saints culture was the Aints for 30 years before they won a, a playoff game, but you still saw the fans uh, show up night in, night out. The place was still rocking. I remember going myself in 1991 and 92, and we never really had that uh, embrace with the New Orleans Pelicans. And man, we were just on the cusp. How could the stage be any bigger for that injury than ESPN on a Friday night, national television against Trevor Reza, Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, and Chris uh, Paul, as well as James Harden on the other side of things. So couldn't be more devastated, but he looks to be in good spirits. Of course, he showed up at his uh, comedy slam and uh, we wish the best in his recovery and that he comes back uh, very quickly. Kevin, let's let's go ahead because we do have some positive information today, and that being the fully realized trade of Nikola Miritich, uh, as announced by Adrian Wojnarowski, not to be outdone this time by Mr. Goodwill, uh, was Woj was in there first. And the trade breakdown, I'm going to do this from memory. It was Nikola Miritich and our own second round pick that had gone to the Bulls uh, via the Quincy Pondexter dump uh, earlier this offseason in exchange for Jameer Nelson, Tony Allen, Omar Ashik, that was the big one, our first-round pick, which is top five protected this year, top eight protected next year, and then fully unprotected in 2020. Before we get to the grade, that that part is interesting, and also swap rights to our second-round picks in 2021, I want to say. But the protections on the first-round pick, Kevin, before we talk Meritich, how does that preclude the 
the Pelicans from trading subsequent first round picks because you you can't trade a pick that's in limbo. Let's say the Pelicans miraculously got a top five pick this year. That would then make trading a future pick, a 2019 pick, null and void. So it's not possible. Now the Pelicans can't trade a first round pick until 2022. Is that right, Kevin? You know, I, th- I think that might be correct. That, that is a little bit difficult. And it's a little interesting that they would uh, put that protection on there, considering, you know, with this move, you would expect not to be in the lottery or really have much of a chance of falling in there since it does handicap Dell from making a move a little bit um, at this point. Um, so we'll just have to see. I mean, maybe he's done making big moves, you know, maybe after the draft next year when um, Agenza's contract is really not much for a team to take on an expiring $5 million deal. Um, and you could attach that uh, 19 pick if you need another part. Um, maybe that's what he's looking at. But I, I thought that was pretty shocking. But, you know, also it was shocking that we get a second round pick back in that deal as well. I mean, it's a pretty interesting deal. And I think it's a deal that Dell clearly won. Yeah, in terms of value, uh You'd have to say the Pelicans walked away with a with a great deal, at least greater than than they had on the table two days ago. But uh, Kumar, let's let's move back to the first round pick. It's it's almost like Dell Demps was handcuffing himself from making few future first round pick deals. Obviously, uh, now he's got that second round pick that he can deal in order to either acquire talent. We've got two open roster spots or offload somebody like Agensa. What did you make of that first round uh, protection on this pick for Meritage? I think that's a really good way of putting it. Like you said, I think Dell might be handcuffing himself, but it may be not handcuffing, handcuffing himself, so to speak, as much as telling other teams that, hey, like I literally cannot give up another pick until 2022. So if you want to come at me with your trades, that's the best I have to offer. Take it or leave it. Um, other than that, I thought the Meritich trade was a Meritich trade was a home run. Uh, it could have been a grand slam if, Chicago also took on Agensa, but we can't get too greedy on that. I think unloading Ashe, getting back a second round pick, which was your own, um, at the cost of a a late first round pick or early twenties, uh, whatever you want to uh, put the number on that. I thought it was an amazing trade, and he did really well. Yeah, nice. Uh, let's get your take, Kevin, just on the value straight up for Miritich. Where do you think he fits in the rotation? Does he immediately go into the starting lineup tomorrow against the Oklahoma City Thunder? Would you like to see his firepower off the bench? Kumar mentioned on Twitter earlier uh, about how nicely Rajon Rondo and Miritich uh, fared together. And there's a quote. I'm going to look it up while you talk here. Actually, Will Gullery posted this earlier. Uh, Miritich said, I hate Rondo. Seriously, I do because he's such a good guy, such a good professional, does everything so right. No, but seriously, he is the best teammate I ever had. It's just who he who he is. He was one of those guys that every time he talked, it didn't matter if he had a good day or a bad guy. He was always there. I've had some teammates or people that just showed up when something good was happening. Not bad. He understood about sticking together and getting guys on the same page. I really love him for who he is. When the Bulls cut him, I was really disappointed because I wanted him on my team at least another year. So, I mean, if nothing else, this guy's excited to play with Rondo, be it in the starting lineup or off the bench. How do you see this acquisition affecting the depth chart at this point in time? And and let's put this before Greg Monroe uh, definitely comes to town, we'll say, over over the weekend. Well, yeah, that's what I was about to say. I mean, it all depends on uh, if we get another buyout center, another buyout big man, um, how that's going to work. I mean. I think you got to replace, we've all been wanting to replace Dante Cunningham's minutes 
with somebody. And now Miritich is that guy. I think you got to stack. You, I mean, like you said, he has that chemistry with Rondo already. So getting him in the starting lineup is definitely key until we have another center where we can play AD more at power forward. Um, so, yeah, I think you got to just start him right away as the team is constructed now, or at least, you know, in the second or third game as you ease him in because we want to limit Dante's role because he hasn't been giving us anything all year outside of two or three games where he's played fairly decently. Um, but yeah, that, that'd be my take. I mean, he's going to stretch the floor for you. He's just, he's basically a much better version of Dante Cunningham. You know, he's not a great rebounder. He's not a great defender, but he's adequate at those two things, but he hits the open jumper. He moves the ball and he's a good cutter. So um, the skills that he'll bring will have the offense more opened up now that Boogie's gone and everybody's collapsing on AD. So that will definitely help out and con- contribute um, to not only fixing slow starts, but also perhaps uh, slow starts out of the half. Yeah, that Dante Cunningham position is definitely where we need an upgrade, at least in the starting lineup. But Kumar, another uh, interesting development is the health of Solomon Hill. We're definitely hoping to get him back and playing for the Pelicans within the next three weeks. How is that going to affect the depth chart? Do you have him starting? Obviously not initially, but as we get into March and into April, right into playoff territory, how do you think these two guys uh, play off of each other, either in the starting lineup or coming off the bench? Where do you see their minutes fitting? Well, like Kevin said, it depends on on the buyout market, right? So if you if you pick up a traditional center type player in uh, Monroe, and you're starting him, let's say he's getting around 25, 27 minutes a night, AD will be starting off as your uh, power forward, and Miritich will be primarily coming off the bench. Um, I think the ideal role for Solomon Hill is to play about half his minutes at three and half his minutes at the backup uh, power forward. That obviously becomes difficult, you know, if Meritage is the first power forward off the bench. But it becomes very doable because Solomon Hill, you can pretty much play him with any big on the roster. So I think they will ease his minutes uh, in, like you said, because he's coming off an injury. I think the person who's going to be hurt the most by his minutes uh, is actually Darius Miller. It's going to be difficult to split time between the the two forward spots for for Hill uh for Meritich and for Miller they're all sort of combo forward players who are going to be playing the same position unless I mean I guess maybe you're playing Meritich at center sometimes an ultra small ball um it'll be tough but I think a solution around that potentially is is giving Miller more minutes uh at, at the two guard and I think what you might see is Ian Clark fall out of the fall out of the rotation um it's an interesting challenge that I'm not sure coaching staff has had time to fully think about I think they're still waiting to see what happens next uh what Dell's got on his plate who's coming in uh and I think that person that you're bringing in will change whoever's going to get what minutes all right let's go ahead and talk buyout because we need to get to that Kevin obviously uh the number one candidate is Greg Monroe at this point but before we move on to that second slot, which could be, you know, there to fit somebody like DeAndre Liggins, or if the Pelicans are feeling bold, they could chase somebody like Joe Johnson. Before we get to that, there, there are two other significant names at that position in the body of Brooke Lopez, who's been averaging 20 minutes per game this year. His career is, I think, somewhere between 31 and 33. And uh, there, there's been a 
bit of frustration in Los Angeles. Just last night, he, he's been benched typically in the fourth quarter in favor of Julius Randle. But last night, it hit an all-time low. He didn't play a minute in the, in the second half. And that was in favor of Thomas Bryant, their second-round pick. Uh, they were down 28. And head coach Luke Walton said something along the lines of, well, we were losing by so much. There was no sense in putting Brooke Lopez in. But he was so frustrated, he left the bench at the 730-minute mark in the fourth quarter and didn't return for some time and then avoided questions after the game. In addition to him, you've got Andrew Bogut. There was a report by Shams that he wants to you know, play for a playoff contender. Who, who is the best fit in New Orleans of those three, Kevin? You know, I, I think while Greg Monroe is the favorite, I think he might be the worst bit of of Bogut and uh, Brooke Lopez, even though I was never really a big fan of Brooke Lopez's game. But Brooke Lopez would give you that floor stretching that Boogie had. Um, and he will, he's also a pretty good passer. I mean, Monroe's a good passer from the post. Um, everybody sets better screens than we've seen from anybody on this roster outside of Omarashik, so that's an upgrade. Um, I mean, personally, I like Greg Monroe just because I like that. I like his game and I like uh, that he's from here, but I don't think he fits Gentry as well as those other two guys do. That being said, anything you get from Greg Monroe is way more than you're getting from Omar Ashik or Alexia Jensa. So it's fine. Like you can play different styles for a, a little bit and you could do different things because with with Lopez on the court with AD, you would probably have AD still playing a little bit closer to the basket because you're probably stretching uh, the floor with Lopez and his three-point shot um, playing sort of like a boogie kind of role, which is if, if anybody's going to be on the outside, I prefer that because I, I like what AD does around the basket. Um, I like him closer to the basket. But, you know, regardless, it's an upgrade over what we had. It's a player that we can all be excited about. It's a guy that we like. So I think there's really no wrong answer for Dell. It's just who he can get for the right price. And probably Monroe is that guy because he gets a chance. He's still making a good amount of money from the buyout and he gets to come home and he gets to play with AD, which is something he's said in the past he would love to do. So, you know, I'm all for Monroe. But if he brought in Lopez or if he brought in Bogut, I'm also fine with that. All right, weigh in on that, Kumar. In addition to that, we whichever the three guys is brought in to replace DeMarcus Cousins' minutes, you'd have to think they're only going to play somewhere around 25 to 30, and Anthony Davis is going to give us a lot of minutes at center. Behind them, you've got Alexis Agensa, who's not likely to play uh, the, re- the remainder of the season, and Cech Diallo, who was something like a, a negative 11 in the six minutes he played the other night. Do you think there's a possibility that the Pelicans bring in not one, but two guys who can potentially play the four and the five? No, I don't think there is. Uh, I think that of the three guys that you mentioned, Monroe is the most likely option. Um, I think that Brooke Lopez, we're not sure if he's going to be bought out yet, but if he is, I think he's going to have better suitors than the Pelicans, uh, particularly Boston, who I think is going to actually hold out and see if a guy like Lopez is bought out because he just he does bring more to the table than a guy like Monroe. He he shoots the three. He's been an all star. Um, he's got bigger size. So I think the Pelicans are going to go with what they can, try to get Monroe, lock that down. Um, and I think it's going to be great because Monroe brings you the necessary rebounding that we lack, uh, along with Meritage, who's a plus rebounder at least compared to Dante Cunningham, uh, which is not saying much, but you know it's better than what we got. 
Um, and then going forward, if they're going to bring in a guy, I would think their priority is going to be on the perimeter. I think they have a unique opportunity to sort of shore up the, either the guard rotation or the wing rotation. And depending on who becomes available, uh, they're going to make a move and, and bolster that. I think, and if they can't, if they can't do it without expending significant assets, I think they're just going to sign Liggins for the rest of the season, which I'd be happy with. You can give him about 10 minutes a night to play defense, to slow someone down who's getting hot, you know, basically whatever you wanted out of Tony Allen, um, minus some of the crazy boneheaded things that Tony Allen used to do. Uh, I think you can expect uh, Liggins to fill in that role nicely. So I don't think they're going to go after uh, another big because you still have uh, Cunningham on the roster. So if you get Monroe, you have Monroe, A.D. Meritage, and then you have Cunningham. So that's four bigs technically. And then not not counting guys like Solomon or even Darius who can play that four spot. Um, so I think I think they're going to be uh, I think they're going to be fine where they're at. They're going to stay put. They're going to chase hard after Monroe and and see what happens. All right, Kevin, let's let's go back to that starting depth chart with Greg Monroe in there and Anthony Davis at the four. I know you addressed this already, but somebody's got to go to the bench. And uh, I, I think we would all prefer for Drew Holiday to start the point guard and have Rajon Rondo come off the bench. But Alvin Gentry doesn't seem to be leaning that way just yet with Rajon Rondo at the point and with Drew Holiday at the two. Who do you have at, at the starting three position, uh, just assuming that Anthony Davis and Greg Monroe are down low? I think you still stick with uh, Eton Moore because you, you need some shooting there. You need some some cutting and some penetration. And, you know, his floater game off of drives is uh, vital. And uh, you still bring Miritich in early because you can rotate Rondo out early and slide everybody over and then, uh, you know, take Monroe out as well early and have AD go, go to the five. Um, so I, I think that's the way to go. Um, I also say I agree 100% with everything Kumar just said. I, that that was uh, perfect. You know, I, I think that plan is perfect. And I also want to throw a little curveball at you, Preston. I was just thinking about this. Do you think that the next time Jameer Nelson comes to New Orleans that we'll have a tribute video to his toe on the line? <laughs> <sighs> no, what, what's going to kill me is when he's got his foot on the line and then he takes a step back and drills a three-pointer. I'm going to throw my arms up in the air in absolute despair. Kumar, I don't know if you followed this, but for the first couple of weeks with Jameer Nelson, he did this one to two times every game. And privately on Twitter, uh, direct messaging, I, I would never put this out for Twitter. I let Kevin do it for me. He's uh, almost my agent or my soundboard at this point. But I would just I would just be screaming in absolute uh, despair and disgust. And, and my analogy was not that he needs to take a step back, but if we could just cut off that front big toe, I think Jameer Nelson probably hits 20 more three-pointers this year, somewhere along that. But uh, just a subject of my own personal frustration. But let's let's move along. Nobody's really interested in that. But. No, let me tell you something. So um, I sometimes have the opportunity to go out before the game start uh, to do some like the pregame stuff with uh, with the press. And like, you know, you watch the players warm up. And I kid you not, Jameer Nelson practices that shot. He practices that one toe on the line, one foot right under the line. That shot is something he warms up doing. And it just kind of drives you crazy. It's like, come on, man. Like, I know you're doing this on purpose. (laughs) 
he's just trying to get at me, uh, get at all of us, I guess. All right, let's let's move along, you guys. Something that's uh, really important that we haven't gotten to yet is the performance of Dell Demps. And I was somebody last offseason who was giving Alvin Gentry the benefit of the doubt, uh, being that, you know, I had 352 games lost due to injury after our playoff season. And then he had 12 games without Drew Holiday. And then last year, uh, including Drew Holiday, he had DeMarcus Cousins come and shake things up for the final 25 games. And and this year, uh, we'll get to some of Alvin Gentry's quotes later, but I, what I was saying, I was a bit tougher on Dell Demps. And this year, he's, I have to admit, he's he's done pretty well with what he's got. If you don't fault him for Omar Ashik and Alexis Agensa, which, let's face it, you have to. Uh, he did those moves as well. But what he's done in his time since then, bringing in veterans like Jameer Nelson, like Tony Allen, who are now off the team, but those guys, in addition to Ian Clark, the trade for DeMarcus Cousins, being able to unload Ashik and get a second-round pick back. Do you do you think, Kevin, that Dell Demps has done enough this year to earn himself another season? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've always been uh, one of his biggest supporters on our site. Um, you know, I think he, he got a bad rap. The You know, the first build um, would have worked had people been healthy, you know, and you can't fault him for that. And especially when you're dealing with a small market, he built that that roster without giving up too much, you know, and then you land a second star like Boogie. And then now, you know, even the things that were bad before the Ashik deal, allows you to make this trade because of the matching salaries and then going into next season you know if if agenda isn't moved this season next season we're going to be over the cap and you're going to need if you want to add somebody else you're going to need a contract to send out to bring back more money you know you can maybe use that agenda deal to get jonathan simmons next season if you you attach that to to other assets and uh make it work so those things that we always thought were flaws and mistakes in his resume have now at least one of those things has given us a, a you know a great benefit and the the other one could possibly benefit benefit us greatly next season as well I'm going to play a bit of devil's advocate for Kumar and get Kumar's take. Uh, over the the eight years now that Dell Demps has been in New Orleans, he's just posting over a 400 record, uh, and by that I mean under 50% uh, win percentage. And in addition to that, uh, the Pelicans have only been to the playoffs twice in his tenure. Uh, one time was in 2010 when they were the seven-seeded uh, first-round loss to the Los Angeles Lakers, 2-4. to four. Those were two very exciting wins, but that's as far as they got. And then four to five years later, with led by Tyreek Evans and Quincy Pondexter, in addition to Anthony davis another uh, unceremonious first round exit zero to four and now this year demarcus cousins was the big acquisition and he certainly was a remarkable get and he's lived up to all of his expectations before going down with that achilles but the big complaint was that we didn't have enough depth behind him the third quarter woes uh once rajon rondo uh started slipping a bit in december and january we just didn't have enough able bodies other than drew holiday uh each one more anthony davis and demarcus cousins to be able to keep these guys from playing 40 minutes a game. Kumar, did Dell Demps do enough just by acquiring DeMarcus Cousins, or did you expect more from him? I don't know if it's fair to expect more after, you know, he just acquires a top 10, top 15 player in a league uh, for peanuts. Um, I think that was a trade that changed the course of this franchise. And I think that he had to make do in the short amount of time that he's had to Marcus and fill out the roster with what he can. It's not like, you know, he had anticipated for a long time that he was going to get to Marcus and that way, you know, he could plan ahead and fill out the roster 
you know, I don't think he had that advantage. DeMarcus sort of became available despite the King's best efforts to turn people away, despite DeMarcus's own agent trying to scare people uh, into not trading for him. Dell said, no, I'm going to go and get him. And he got AD a superstar to play with. And then this year you could tell that, you know, they had stuff lined up to fill out the team. You can only do so much with limited cap space in the summer, but you look at how aggressive they're being right now, right? The Meritage trade that they just made, uh, it's coming out that this is someone they had targeted even before Boogie went down. So imagine having Boogie on this team and now also having Meritage and then also being aggressive in the potential buyout market or pursuing perimeter players. Um, I think Dell's received the short end of the stick not once, but like basically every season of his career here uh, when it comes to injuries and, and luck, um, you know, with DeMarcus going down, with Solomon Hill going down before the season even started, did we once get to see the anticipated starting lineup that many of us thought it was going to play in the summer? No, I don't think that we did. And now we're not going to see what the season could have looked like had they been equally aggressive into this deadline with, with DeMarcus uh, healthy. So um, I don't think it's fair to say that uh, he hasn't done enough. I think he's done great with what he has uh, on his plate. I think he's one of the best in the league at working around the margins. Uh, Maybe he works really good under pressure um, because we've seen time and time again that he comes through with the trade deadline. I mean, if you look back the year we made made the playoffs, um, Dante Cunningham was a midseason free agent uh, acquisition we picked him up around december and then we picked up uh pondexter through a trade uh around the deadline right um that basically changed the course of that season and we made the playoffs that year i don't think without pondexter without cunningham uh we would have made the playoffs that year um you know he traded for demarcus now he traded for meritage he's always doing something um with the limited tools and resources that he has and I think he's been quite successful with that. Now, could you argue that he sort of put himself in that position in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think with the Ashik deal, um, with the incentives on Drew's deal, it kind of paints you into the corner. But you can go back and see the clear reasoning behind both of those deals. And they almost directly relate to Anthony Davis, right? With Ashik, it's... Anthony Davis was was clamoring behind the scenes. Like, you know, he's good friends with Ashik. He doesn't want to play the five. They had just made the playoffs. Let's get this guy signed, you know. Uh, with Drew, again, like, you're just going to let your starting point guard walk. You're going to get another player of that caliber in, in any type of situation, free agency trade. I mean, good luck, right? Um, so I think he's had to do what he's had to do. Uh, to come this far um could he have negotiated better in certain places from the outside looking in yeah definitely uh but i wasn't there at the table so i can't tell you you know what the situation was so but you know given all that i think he's put us in a really good spot to compete this year and going forward before we get to alvin gentry kevin uh follow this analogy for me uh they picked up uh, the 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 team option twelve and a half million to Nikola Miritich, and that was a, a crucial negotiating point because he had to agree to the trade, and he didn't want to agree to the trade unless he got you know unless he got his, which is totally fair. But with that 
being said, now the Pelicans are pushed right against the luxury tax already. They're going to have to unload Alexis Agenza if they want to bring in outside help. And that's still not going to give them uh, much leeway to make a big move and bring in another contributor that can help them next season, even should DeMarcus Cousins come back at 100%. With, with the way that the Pelicans cap is tied up going in next into next season, uh, you, you have to attribute it to Dell Demps. Do you think the Pelicans have the necessary flexibility to ever be a contender, given the way the, the salary cap is is matching up for them? I mean, if we're ever going to be a contender, it's going to come from ownership that we're allowed to pay the luxury tax. And to build this team out, they have to commit to that. And I think right now, looking at this move that they made, they may be on that path finally and agreeing to do that because of what you're just saying. I mean, we'll have bird rights on uh, – on Boogie, and if we can acquire somebody else who's at a small deal that we also get their bird rights, maybe we can pair them and go over the, you know, pay a big luxury tax bill, but be a, a team that contends for the championship. So I think, like, this move should make fans feel good that they're willing to commit to the team and willing to commit the money needed to be a competitor. Um, and I just want to add on to the last thing that I, that we were talking about. And another thing to consider with Dell is like everybody says, you know, like that Lakers series, we probably would have won that Lakers series had David West not been hurt, you know. And then also, look, he turned uh, Darren Collison into Trevor Ariza, who was a big part of that run as well. So, you know, he just has had a lot of bad luck in this time and his resume should be better than it is. It's just injuries have really hampered. Uh, what could have been for pretty much every build of the team he's had so far. Yeah, and I'm going to pose that to, to Kumar, and I'm going to expand on it too. Uh, this is something we talked about uh, with Fletcher Mackle yesterday, just saying that that Alvin Gentry and Dell Demps' fates are tied. And we've already discussed, and you guys both have determined that Dell Demps deserves another shot with the way that he's performed this year. But with that being said, if these two guys' fates are tied, some of the quotes that Alvin Gentry has had this, not even this year, just this week, where I'm going to play these guys as, as much as I want. I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, I'm just paraphrasing. But basically saying that if I don't play these guys, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and Drew Holiday, 48 minutes, we're not going to win. So what do you want me to do? And then just three days later, he said he's not going to play Anthony Davis more than 36 minutes the rest of the year. When asked about the Pelicans' third quarter deficiencies, he said, I don't know. After the loss against the Kings, he he gave a couple excuses. He said, we're, we're still a good team, and we're just adjusting without DeMarcus Cousins, and we're going to figure it out. How much confidence do you have right now an Alvin Gentry Kumar? I wouldn't take anything he says to the press at face value. I mean, I think he knows what he's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do. Um, when he went on, on, I don't want to call it a rant, but when he went on that tangent about um, not playing players uh, or being forced to play players more minutes than, than ideal, um, you know, he was kind of trying, he was exasperated. He's like, this is the team I got. I'm going to try to do the best with what I got. I'm going to try to win. And then three days later, when he comes around and says, okay, I'm going to try to limit AD's minutes. You know what happened between now and then? He got confirmation from Dell, basically like, hey, backups are coming. So in order to kind of appease the media, Gentry was definitely like, hey, yeah, no, we're, we'll keep AD's minutes down because he knows something's about to happen. He knows more players are coming in and there's a more viable path to be successful on the floor and also keep AD's minutes down. So I think Gentry um, wants to say a lot. If you ever watch his uh, press conferences, uh, he definitely wants to say a lot. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't want to 
throw people under the bus if he can avoid it. Um, even though that rant about the minutes kind of does like seem like he's putting Dell out there, like, hey, like, give me something more. Um, but you know, Gentry's smarter than that, and I think as far as managing players' minutes goes, yeah, like he clearly doesn't want to run his star into the ground. He knows that with especially the the research that's been done on medical uh, on rest um, and like preventative measures uh, when it comes to like medicine and all that. Um, he's read that. He has access to that. Um, so I think, I think Gentry is smarter than a lot of people give him credit for, um, because it's really tough to interpret what a guy really wants to say just through a few quotes that you might read on Twitter or you see in a clip on a post-game interview or a pre-game interview. And, uh, I think that he is equipped to handle the changes that are coming, especially with the new players, particularly because I think he has a good coaching staff, um, I think he he has strong assistance in Ehrman and Finch, and he has strong player development assistance. Um, and I think that staff, because you know they're professionals, it's their job. They do their homework. They've been planning for this. Is you know I'm sure Dell's talked to Gentry like months ago. Like, hey, what do you think of Meritish? And I thought, and like you know these guys, they live and breathe basketball. So like they're they're gonna have plans on what to do with these players um whether that translates into success i think you know that that's anybody's game like i i don't know i can't answer that but your question of whether he's equipped for this yeah i think i think gentry's equipped for this all right i'm not going to pose that question to kevin because we already know what his answer is going to be uh just for you guys anthony davis drew holiday demarcus Cousins, solomon hill nicola miritich etuan moore and darius miller with alexis agensa alone that brings us up uh i'm bad at math somewhere around 122 to 126 mile, uh, million dollars just those guys alone so the pelicans will have to make a move and one of those moves is alexis agensa and this question is from phelps lot and i'm going to give this to kevin do you think he's moved before the deadline? Do you think the Pelicans wait until this offseason when his deal is a little bit more palatable, just being one year and $5 million? I mean, heck, we've seen the Bulls sell second-round picks for $3 million. Why not move a second-round pick now to get Alexis Agents off the book and give us the flexibility? I think we still have $5 million left of our mid-level exception. We could use that money to go out and chase somebody like a Greg Monroe if we had the available space. And, of course, selling Agents would do that. What is your opinion on Agents, Kevin, and when do you think he moves? I think he moves eventually. It just depends on how Dell wants to shape the roster. I think if he thinks that he's going to need to send a first round pick, uh, he's going to save it, save it till next year when he's over the cap to use that against the contract. If he doesn't need uh, that first round pick to get somebody that he has in mind, then you might see it happen this year. Like for instance, um, if he thinks that he needs, this is just one example. If, if he thinks he needs uh, another point guard, another ball handler, perhaps, you send the Jensa to Dallas for Devin Harris with, uh, you know, the second round we just reacquired and some cash or something like that. The salaries match up and then you get, you know, another veteran point guard uh, back there or somebody like that. I mean, I would hope that if he, when he moves that contract to get somebody more long-term, a younger guy on a smaller contract that will stick around for a while, but the protections on the first do hamper that move because when you're talking about acquiring that kind of player on a good contract, you know, typically you're talking about giving up a first round pick. Um, so we'll just see. I think, I mean, I think he moves at some point. It just depends on what Dell's plan is on building out the rest of the roster and how the buyout market goes, because maybe he doesn't need to move him this year. If 
you get a Greg Monroe on the buyout market. And if you get a Joe Johnson on the buyout market, as unlikely as that is, um, you know, now you got, oh, you got your wing guy that you needed another wing, and then you got your center. So you're, you're set, you know, and you can save Agenza for another time. Shout out to Ryan Bear. He says, I want a full dedication to the memory of Jameer's toe on the line. Pull up three pointers with 22 <laughs> seconds left on the shot clock. Ryan, damn it. It's not funny. We already talked about it. Uh, but going back to uh, Kumar, uh, if, if it took more than a second round pick to move him, do you just wait for the offseason and stretch him? Or what is your move with him? I don't think it should take more than a second round pick to move him. Uh, I just don't know if there's any buyers in the market right now. The problem is, uh, functionally, Ashik is already an expiring, right? You're gonna, if you're going to dump him, you're dumping him to a bad team. A bad team doesn't care about the two months left on his salary for this season. He's an expiring to them for next season anyway, right? They're not going to have any extra money um, that they're going to spend on good players to become a good team, right? You dump into a team like the Magic, the the Mavs, the Hawks, they're not becoming good anytime soon. So I think functionally he isn't expiring uh, anyway. I mean, look at the Mavs. They're not even at the salary floor yet. And they're, they're about $3.5 million or something like that from the salary floor. So, like, these bad teams have space to absorb a guy like that. And it's just that do they want to? Do they see better opportunities to utilize their cap space? Um but no, I don't think it'll take a first to move him next season at all. Uh, and if it did, like they would just stretch him, like you said. Um, but as far as this season goes, if they could move him uh, along with, you know, some more salary and a first for like a truly impactful player, I think they would do it. I think if they could get that needle mover perimeter player, uh, they would do it in a heartbeat. But the problem is, I just don't think there's a guy like that on the market. Um, there's trades that they can explore because his salary is $5 million or so that he makes, uh, along with, let's say, uh, a Diallo or, or even, you know, um, Rondo, depending on how big you want to stretch out those salaries, you can add those up and, and get back a, a, a decent rotation player if you attach a second. But again, it's all about the market and it's tough to predict right now. Um, it's tough to predict what those bottom out teams are doing. And uh, I definitely agree with your assessment that if the Bulls are willing to to sell picks for about $3 million, then, you know, what's another $2 million? You can pass that along in cash next year anyway. Yeah, we're almost there. Uh, Kevin, we've got a question from Phelps a lot. Does this solve the third quarter disasters? Nico can jack up shots during those barren periods. And the question I want to ask is more concerning the Pelicans as a whole. Uh, the Pelicans have, have suffered from inconsistency and energy, and we've seen that before DeMarcus Cousins was taken out of the lineup, and even still, a lot of ball watching, a lot of getting dominated on the boards. Just how much can Greg Monroe, DeAndre Liggins potentially, and uh, Nikola Miritich affect that and change the, the Pelicans' second-half woes? Well, I mean, Liggins isn't going to give you much offensively, especially shooting-wise. I mean, he, he's a good athlete, and he can, uh, you know, you can get him on cuts and baseline cuts and things like that where he can contribute. But if you're trying to get – if you're trying to count on him for offense, you're looking in the wrong direction. I mean, he's there purely to be a defender. Um, and then, you know, I don't know how much it will solve the third quarter woes because, you know, 
if if they're bringing in Monroe and Monroe's going to start and he's going to start coming out of the third, Miritich isn't going to be on the floor to begin with. But then again, you know, like I said, you just stagger the minutes where you get Miritich in early um, and that'll give you some more offensive firepower. You know, you're basically, as we've been saying, replacing Dante's minutes with Miritich. So that's a huge upgrade. Um, that gives you another score. And then you just need to worry about playmaking, but I'm I'm satisfied. I don't know how Kumar feels, but I'm satisfied with Drew on the ball a lot. And if you have Drew on the ball with more, and you have Miller, and you have Miritich to play with more early on in the third, it may help counteract those uh, lulls that we get into. But you know, like we saw the other night, you can't fall in love with the perimeter shot. I mean, in the third quarter against. Uh, Against the Clippers, we had what two shots at the at the basket, and everything else was either a deep two or a three. Um, you know, so we need to figure out ways to to get better looks at the basket. And I think using one thing that Monroe can help with, or whatever the buyout center is, is setting screens and having guys running off to get to the basket on cuts. Um, and that could also open up the offense a little bit, even though those that Monroe or Bogut wouldn't provide any kind of perimeter shooting. All right, Kumar, uh, let's continue on with with how to fix the third quarter. In addition to that, I know Michael McNamara is begging to see Charles Cook on the court. And we finally got four minutes of a Mike James sighting uh, the other night against the Kings. How do we fix the third quarter? And do you think we'll ever get a a good look this year at Charles Cook? Or is he purely a developmental guy that we're not going to see contribute until next season? So I'm going to talk about the the third quarters first, and then we'll get to Charles Cook. Cause I have a lot to say on those third quarters. Um, one, you know, I, I agree with, with Kevin's assessment um, pretty much through and through. And I think, you know, if you get a guy like Monroe uh, going back to getting more looks at the rim, he isn't a player like DeMarcus who can jack up threes or is going to be jacking up uh, threes. So you're going to see him more inside. You're going to see him posting up. That's his bread and butter. That's his game. He's going to be diving. He's going to be getting looks at the rim, which which is a start, right? Um, Secondly, the Pelicans need to do whatever they can to get Rondo off the court. Just to start that third quarter, I don't know if you want to start him as like a regular starter, but man, you cannot come out of the half and have Rajon Rondo playing. He he kills your offense. He kills your defense. He isn't contributing on either side of the floor. Players just kind of like watch – him dribble around try to make something happen no one's defending him so his guy's just sagging off eight feet into the paint all movement dies um and then players try to make something happen and make up for the lack of space by trying to get threes going because they're like okay maybe if we get really hot from three uh things will open up no it's just it's bad so i think that's why you know going back to what i said earlier the pelicans need to make a perimeter player acquisition and ideally that perimeter player forces Rondo to the bench, right? We've talked about how Meritage and Rondo have great chemistry, and they play. then they both played off the bench uh, with the Bulls last year, right? You'll fix your defense. You'll fix your, your shooting issues. I mean, shoot, that, that perimeter player doesn't even have to be a shooter. If you could get a Jonathan Simmons right now, wouldn't you, right? If that forced Rondo to the bench, you got a Jonathan Simmons. You got a guy that's going to fix your defense just because he can play defense but also slides uh, more down to his natural position, puts Drew with the, in the driver's seat with the ball in his hand. I mean, like, your, your possibilities are endless, right? If you get a Dinwiddie, 
I'm not saying these trades are realistic, but like again, you want to do what you can to push Rondo to the bench and and away from the starting units. He was just coming out of the half, and they're like, you know what? We gave Rondo way too much attention last time. We're just going to totally ignore him. And it's not like they're giving him a ton of attention to begin with. Every shot's open. But now they're adjusting their game plan to actually funnel the offense through Rondo. They're sticking on all of our shooters like glue. They're collapsing in the paint every time AD tries to roll. And it's just like, hey, Rondo, just shoot the ball. We're 20 feet away from you. And he's going to miss because he's never been a great shooter. Maybe the off game he gets lucky and he makes two or three threes. That's great, but it doesn't actually help your spacing, right? Your spacing's still going to collapse because no one's defending him, and that's going to be the game plan. Then you go into the playoffs, oh, it's going to be even more of a mess. So I think the Pelicans need to do whatever they can to move Rondo to the bench, especially with Jameer gone. We need that ball handling. We need someone to run the second unit, someone to feed Meritage, someone to feed Miller, um, and even Clark. You know, like whoever is going to be in that second unit, we need uh, we need Rondo to take up take um, what do you call it take charge there. So that's my answer about the third quarters. Do what you can to get him to the bench. Um, I think you'll see improvements on both sides of the ball, uh, and you'll see improvements on energy. Secondly, Charles Cook. I don't think he's going to be a significant contributor this year. Uh, probably not even next year. But I think the Pelicans will keep an eye on him because again. Their whole motive is to find cheap players who can contribute like they did it with Darius Miller and Ian Clark. So if he can give them anything next year, uh, it'll be a bonus. Kevin, uh, to expand on Rajon Rondo and the Pelicans as a whole, in December, he was having the the best shooting month of his career, uh, 39.5% from three, 50% from the field. He followed that up in January in 14 games, duplicate total, uh, with 43% from the floor and 33% from three. But that's not just attributed to Rajon Rondo. The team as a whole has suffered in shooting in January. In 15 games in December, the team as a whole was 51% from the field, over 43% from three in January in 14 games, uh, 47.5% from the field, 32% from three. Why has the team as a whole not bounced back from the shooting slump they're in? Well, I mean, we all knew that we were shooting, you know, higher than what we should have been. It was just we, we there was going to be a regression coming. And I, we've talked about this before. Some of it might be tired legs. Some of it is defenses adjusting. Um, you know, some of it is just flukes. You know, they're gonna they're gonna pick that back up. And you know, like I we've discussed this a lot about Rondo, and it's exactly what Kumar was just saying. Like looking at his three numbers are pointless because every time he's shooting one, he is wide open, and it doesn't help you in terms of spacing. Because exactly what Kumar said, it, defenders just off clogging the paint, playing free safety out there, and begging him to shoot it. Um, and it's not like he was shooting like 10 a game and, and making 39% or 40% of them. He was, you know, shooting two or three. Um, so, you know, I just think the season comes in waves and shooting comes in waves. It's unfortunate that everybody's sort of hitting their, um, their lull at the same time, but you also have to consider that Darius Miller and Etwan Moore are not used to playing the minutes that they are playing now and they're hitting a bit of a wall and they'll fight through it. And they're about to get another break with the all-star break, have some days off recharge. And, you know, adding somebody like Miritich in there 
takes a lot of pressure off of them, but it also mentally, you know, it's like, okay, we have help now. We have another guy that stretches. We have another player we can count on. Um, and that, that also will help. And, uh, you know, because basketball is a very mental game, you know, it's all, it's also about emotions and, and um, confidence. And if you have confidence in yourself and your teammates, then, you know, your buyer rhythms are going to be better. Shots are going to go in that wouldn't have gone in when you're down in the dumps and you're worried about cousins being out. You're worried about how we're going to go forward. And the, the, the fatigue that you have is heavier at that time than it is when you have hope and you have uh, courage and you have trust. All right, Kumar, let's start to wrap things up and look at a, a weekend preview. We've got Oklahoma city thunder first. We're going there tomorrow night and uh, they're going to be pretty tired. They're going to be on the second night of a back-to-back. They're playing at Denver tonight. Uh, Brett Dawson of the Oklahoma and formerly of the Advocate and Locked On Pelicans told me that this will be the fifth consecutive game that the Thunder have played in a different time zone. I don't remember exactly what he went, but they had been bouncing from Pacific to Eastern to Central to Mountain for five games in a row. So they're going to be pretty tired when the Pelicans get into town. Although they've won eight of nine, they lost their last one against the wall, uh, against uh John Wallace Wizards, I should say. And uh, they just lost Andre Robertson the same weekend that the Pelicans lost to Marcus Cousins. So they'll be figuring things out with Terrence Ferguson in the starting lineup. And after that, they go to Minnesota, where the Wolves have lost four of five. Tonight, they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Do you think the Pelicans can get a pair of wins on the board this weekend? Boy, you sure hope so. Uh, I didn't know the fact about OKC traveling through all those different time zones. That's Pretty interesting. No, um, I think I think that's pretty cool, and I hope the Pelicans can take advantage of that because they are a little bit more rested. But unfortunately, I think the Pelicans are going to be a lot more shorthanded than OKC, given the players that went out. And you know, we're probably not going to see Miritich tomorrow. We're probably not going to see Monroe tomorrow. Uh, if we do, man, that'd be a miracle. But without those guys, you're running on, what, seven players? If that. And so you're going to go up against Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and even Carmelo Anthony, who you know who hasn't been that great. But you're, their two guys are – who do we have matching up with them? I mean, sure, Drew can take Russ, but, like, we don't have a single guy on the roster that can hang with Paul George, I think. Uh, unless that guy is AD, which – why would you want him on Paul George? And then you have Steven Adams, who's averaging like five offensive rebounds a game, and we don't have any rebounders on our team. We just we were a below average rebounding team before DeMarcus went down. And so with Ashik gone, um, and AD, you know, probably playing a ton of minutes tomorrow night. I don't expect the game to be pretty. It'll be it'll have to be hell of an effort uh for the Pelicans to come out with a win. I think they should aim to keep minutes low for the starters. Uh, for AD and, and Drew, they shouldn't play be playing more than 33, 34 minutes tomorrow night, you know, unless the game is really that close and and we need, you know, if we, we had the winning shot. Um, and then, you know, cross our fingers and hope that at least Miritich is there for the Wolves game. Um, and ideally Monroe and, and whatever happens between now and then, maybe another player, Liggins or whatever the case is, hope that reinforcements are there. So try to rest them up against OKC if you can. Focus your efforts on the Wolves, who, like you said, have lost four of the last five. And it's crazy how that directly correlates to Jeff Teague 
coming back from injury and uh, not being very good. They dominated when Tyus Jones was in the lineup, and all of a sudden Jeff Teague is back, and Carl Anthony Towns has taken like seven shots a game. That's insane. You know, he's one of the best offensive bigs in the league. You know how pissed off we get when AD gets like eight shots a game? He'll have like one of those games every 20 games or so. We're like, okay, like what happened here, right? Carl Anthony Towns has shot like less than 10 field goal attempts like six times in like the last 20 games or something like that. It, it's it's absurd. There's been like lots of stats about it out, out about it today. And, you know, if that's going to continue to happen, that's great for us. AD loves playing Towns anyway, so should be a good matchup. I think that's the game to focus on. That's the game that they should try to win. Nice snippet from Kumar. I didn't even think about that. Uh, you, we're going to have to see substantial minutes from Mike James and Charles Cook if we have any any chance of giving our guys any rest, because you're absolutely right. Beyond uh, Rondo, who's been somewhere around 18 minutes per game the past two weeks, then you've got Drew Holiday, Etwan Moore, Darius Miller, Dante Cunningham, Anthony Davis, and you hope that you don't have to throw Czech Diallo out on the court. So really, off the bench, you just have Ian Clark and Darius Miller if Meritage can't go tomorrow night. So we may actually see some Charles Cook after all if he's uh, activated. Kevin, now knowing that we've only got seven guys for the Thunder and we, we don't know as of yet when we might see Meritich and Monroe in the lineup, do, do the Pelicans have any chance against the Thunder tomorrow night? I mean, I think that's a tough game and no one should expect that. I mean, even if you were to get Meritich and Monroe in that game, there's still going to be an adjustment period. You know, there's adding two new pieces changing everybody's roles again, getting used to spots on the floor and what the offense is trying to do, especially when you run more of a read and react offense, one that relies more on chemistry than a lot of play calling. Um, You know, it's hard to integrate those guys. So I think no one should expect a win Friday night. I mean, if we pull off a miracle, that's great. But, um, you know, we're definitely going to be playing shorthanded and undermanned and a lot of guys are going to have to play a lot of minutes, and you're going to see a lot of fatigue if we're playing at that fast pace towards the end of the game, which we're not going to be able to keep up with. Um, and as Kumar said, there's nobody on our roster that can guard Paul George. So um, that's going to be a very tough game. But, you know, I think if we can regroup, there is a good – the Wolves are vulnerable right now, and we really owe them one. I mean, we – we should have won every matchup we've been in with them so far and we just let them slip away. So, um, you know, I think the team should be very hungry to, to get one in Minnesota. All right, you guys, uh, that's going to do it for now. Thank you so much to Kumar. Again, you guys must follow him at Fear the Brown and at Bourbon Street Shots. Thank you to you guys for uh, lending him to us and to Kevin at Kevin B for Bounce. Kevin, have you given out any more business cards lately? I have. Yeah, I'm nice. getting those out. Yeah. And nice. uh, I did start working on a, another sort of what could trades could possibly be out there next piece, you know, kind of a fantasy fueled uh, thing, uh, which hopefully will be up soon. Uh, so that it's in Ollie's hands now. So whenever he has time to get to it, uh, we'll see that coming out. The, the third part that you keep saying already exists that hasn't existed <laughs> this morning. Kevin, uh, so Kevin here's, we'll a, here's a trade for you. Here, we have a Jinsa. Diallo and every second round pick ever for Jonathan Simmons. <laughs> I have a Jonathan Simmons trade. Let me Who look at that real no? quick before I uh I think my trade is very similar to that. Mine is mine's a Jensa Frank Jackson second rounds for Jonathan Simmons. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Sign me up. 
<laughs> All right, just some technicalities. Uh, the Pelicans picked up tax exceptions. Uh, not tax exceptions, trade exceptions. Sorry, we we added to the list uh, 1.5 and 1.4 as part of that trade. And the Bulls uh, took back that 12.5. I think they did two separate transactions in there so that they could uh, get themselves a, a nice little trade exception. We are 1.6 million below the, the tax, the luxury tax, and 2.2 below the hard cap, something like that. Does that sound right, Kumar? Something like that. Yeah. I think Bobby Marks tweeted that out and uh, seems pretty accurate. All right. Let's wrap up. Uh, guys, again, thank you to Kumar. Thank you to Kevin. We know that you're listening and uh, thank you guys so much. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Rate us on iTunes today. Subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you don't like us, no worries. We're glad you're here anyway. Uh, we'll be back on Super Sunday with Ali and Kevin because we're also jaded from that Vikings loss that we don't need to watch football anymore this year. And uh, hopefully on that day, we'll be talking Greg Monroe and maybe uh, Joe Johnson. We'll see. Until then, uh, thank you guys again. And hey, let's go Pels. You have been listening to The Bird Calls. Thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, do us one more favor. Go to iTunes, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. And now, an ad from Dad. All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Technology Truths. Brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 